You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Please allow me to give you a massive welcome to episode 137 of the Null and Void Sports Podcast, your number one choice. As ever, we bring you a whole host of sports stories, actually from 10 different sports, followed by your contacts, a very deserving target for Get a Grip, As if this all wasn't enough, we've also got a guest who is a triathlon competitor who last year took part Ironman World Championship competition in Nice. More of that later. Anyway, just talking about the weekend, I managed to watch some Premier League football, also some of the women's fifth round FA Cup ties and Six Nations. One problem I had in advance of all of that was that I had a a guest um, a couple coming for dinner, but the uh, the male uh, of, of those two coming to Grundy Towers um, is an avid Wales supporter, although he was born in Birmingham, which meant he would be arriving at our front door minutes after the England-Wales match. And of course, you'd no idea what the result was going to be, but I thought if it goes badly, that'll be a nice dinner. Anyway, you'll be pleased to hear he drank lots of red wine and seemed to enjoy the food and company. So we got away with that one. How about you? Um, yeah, uh, rugby through the weekend, all three games. Um, also out, to, out for a belated birthday lunch with my mum and brother. A very good London Street Brasserie in Reading. Uh, we're not sponsored by them, although if they are listening and uh, want to sponsor <laughs> us, then give us a shout. Uh, what I loved about it, good food done really well. I had haggis as a starter which uh, appealed to the Scots in me, uh, chicken gnocchi for main course, and then couldn't manage a pudding. I was too full. But the uh, what? What? the restaurant actually brought me out a little polenta cake with a candle in um, because they'd heard it was my birthday. So, uh, yeah, got the whole restaurant singing happy birthday, which I wasn't thrilled by. But uh, a really good lunch, really good company. And, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely little restaurant down on the... Uh, on on the canal in Reading there. So uh, that was it. And then, of course, the Super Bowl on Sunday night, or the Swift Bowl, as it has been nicknamed this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, 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 we'll come to NFL. Well, we have to do it first, don't we? Um, what time did you actually get to bed after the event? Yeah, um, remind me next year to take the day off work, the day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> um uh, it went to overtime, as the Americans call it, or extra time. So by the time the trophy had actually been presented, it was about just gone four in the morning that I got yeah. to sleep. And I then had to be up at half five to get a shower and get the, the bus and train into London, into the office there. So, uh, yeah, you can imagine how I felt by close of play yesterday, getting the train home. I was quite lucky that I, I didn't end up in Exeter or Swansea or Bristol, wherever the train <laughs> was uh, asleep, going yeah. Yeah, get that guy off the train. Right, yeah. So, and and what one thing I'd written down there about it because you're going to tell us about the the actual game is don't show me another picture of Taylor Swift snogging her boyfriend, please, no more. Anyway, well, apart from that, what were your observations? I mean, you've got to give her her credit. The uh... Attention that she's brought to the Super Bowl apparently means that the audience in America was 123 million, and the only US audience for a US broadcast that has been bigger ever 
was the moon landings in 1969. So that is the swift effect, um, <laughs> you know, like it or not. But uh, and and in fairness to her, the way she chugged that beer when she was on camera, you've got to give her credit <laughs> for that. You know, down to whole pint. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you know, there's nothing to her as a as a build, and yet she was knocking back a pint like a rugby prop forward. So and that, and now, here we are talking about it again. Talk about yeah. the game. <laughs> well, I think it's been called the dogfight in the desert. And sometimes that that's the risk with two such good teams that they can actually cancel each other out. So it wasn't loads of touchdowns and, and exciting plays like that, but it was no less exciting for it. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers led 10-3 at halftime. And then with just three seconds left on the clock, they led 1916, and it looked to all the world and everyone like they were going to end their 29-year wait for a Super Bowl title. But Butker kicked a field goal for the Chiefs, and that leveled the scores and took them into overtime, extra time as we'd call it in the UK. And again, in overtime, the Niners got in front with a field goal, kicking that to go 22-19 up. But the Chiefs' talisman, Mahomes, then led an upfield drive. And again, with just three seconds left on the clock, they love this three seconds left, the uh, Chiefs. Uh, he put uh, Mecco Hardman into the corner for the winning touchdown. So they took the game 25-22. Uh, and that means that the Chiefs become the first team to win back-to-back -back championships since Brady's Patriots in 2003 and 2004 and as i say the us audience 123.4 million watching it across the uh, across the three and a half four hours you know it always uh shocks me that 60 minutes of play can take three to four hours especially at that time of night you know that as it went into overtime i was out there thinking the last thing i needed tonight was it to go into overtime, when overtime. I that's, 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 again. that's less sleep <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, you're recovering today, hopefully, uh, as we're recording Tuesday night. Um, yeah, next up, you again with, with rugby. Um, I watched um, the England-Wales game, particularly because uh, of the guest I had coming an hour or so later. Um, and uh, what I saw, and again, on, on educated view in rugby union terms, but two teams in transition, not pretty from an England supporter point of view, as I am. Um, I wanted them to win. So I almost didn't care how they did it. At one stage, I couldn't see how they would. Um, yeah, I mean, two bold men fighting over a comb, I think is the best way to describe <laughs> that yeah. match. England are failing upwards, um, playing terribly and yet winning. Um, I'll admit, I switched it off after 45 minutes and went out for a run. I was just so angry at what I was watching and so frustrated. I thought there's either going to be a broken television here or a broken iPad, or I need to go out for a, for a run and do something different instead. It was just utterly frustrating. The discipline and the thinking clearly under pressure is still an issue. England's two yellow cards were self-inflicted, but yeah. then they went up the field and scored with only 13 men on the field. So, you know, maybe the rugby league influence over the last couple of years has, uh, has, has come into play, but uh, I can see what they're trying to do. Um, despite some early teething problems, I can see what they're trying to do with the defensive strategy and trying to put that press in place. 
but it's a different situation in attack. I cannot for the life of me see any shape, any pattern, any improvement from the World Cup and even before that. So so hugely frustrating, but it is a win. 16-14 win over Wales. Um, and it's always the big one. You know, you know me, I always say I'll support anyone but Wales. So uh always a big one for England in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but it was ugly. It was it 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 was you know we talk about win ugly and good teams do that well this is a bad team that are winning ugly so uh, but it means that them and Ireland are the only teams now that can do a grand slam so can't see it happening for England but who knows no. for Ireland I mean in the other games Scotland were cruelly denied at the end in their sixteen twenty loss to France um, Scotland thought they'd won it right at the end with a pushover and then they thought they'd scored a try only for the ref to say held up. Um, and then the video ref, the TMO, was unable to find... What he needs to find is conclusive video evidence of the ball being grounded. That's the wording in law. And I, I would say it was 99% certain, but that 1% was what cost Scotland. For me, it was a terrible decision. I think the player's ankle stopped the ball being grounded. You could see that. And then in the next clip, you can see that the ball's not on the ankle. There's only one place it can be. And for me, mm. looking at that shot through the feet of the player that was stood like halfway across the pitch and the camera angle, the one they had, they they consulted 10, 15 angles. Um, and that one, for me, I thought I could see it on the ground, but uh, only not to be. And I don't want to sound like South African fans who sent death threats to Wayne Barnes and Tom Foley after the World Cup final. Not getting into that, but I do think the standard of refereeing has been poor so far this year in the Six Nations. I know that no ref means no game, and I know they've got a difficult job to do, but I hope the referees managers at World Rugby are watching this and saying, how can we improve this? Because what you've got, these fiascos at the end of uh, things like the Scotland game, it's turning off the casual fans. So people like yourself, Tony, people who maybe yeah. even have less interest in sport, but might go, oh, Six Nations, big tournament, I'll watch a bit of that. And actually they're switching off. It's a bit like I, I heard uh, former player Chris Ashton talking on a podcast this week. Um, shh, there are other podcasts, although we don't want our listeners to know that. <laughs> but... I was listening to him talking about it today, and he was saying that it's a bit like that Formula One fiasco a couple of seasons ago, the Hamilton Verstappen yeah. thing. And he said he hasn't watched a Formula One race since. And I know three or four people, myself included, that actually watched that one, the first race they'd watched in years, and haven't bothered since because it's yeah. such a farce. And I'm yeah. sure that's happening in rugby because we've got these decisions that seem so distant from what, you know, with the intricate nuances of the laws basically it was the wording of the question that meant the try couldn't be given um and that's all, all it is you know uh, it's that sort of it's a bit like umpires calling cricket but really frustrating but you know scotland played really well um and then the final game of the weekend with andy farrell's ireland they showed that they're um, good at being the best team in the world right up to the World Cup quarterfinal every four years. So uh, they beat Italy 36-0 yeah. in Dublin. Um, and they're the only team to have taken full points, five points for each game, uh, and looking very, very good. You know, they left, they rested some of their absolute top-tier players or had them on the bench on Saturday uh, Sunday 
and they look very good. So there's okay. a rest week this week for everyone to take stock uh, before England go to Murrayfield for the Calcutta Cup. Wales mm. go to Dublin. And then France take on Italy for the Garibaldi Cup. And I don't want any jokes about taking the biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I've got football next. Uh, there were two major international cup finals uh, at the weekend. Uh, one saw Qatar successfully defend the Asian Cup, beating Jordan 3-1. Akram Afif, very unusually, I've never heard this before, scored all three goals. That happens in the cup final, but all from the penalty spot. Hmm. Somebody might somebody might contact us and say, I've heard of somebody. I've not heard that before. But anyway, um, meanwhile, in the Afghan uh, Cup final, the Ivory Coast beat Nigeria 2-1. The winning goal there scored for the Ivory Coast by Sebastian Haller. He's the ex-West Ham striker. Haller, 12 months ago, was successfully treated for testicular cancer. So great recovery for him to be winning the game in a a cup final, scoring the goal. So well done to him. West Ham could have done with him on on, on Saturday. Can make his, uh, never mind Haller, they took a hell of a beating. Oh. Yes, they absolutely did. Uh, 6-0 at yes. home to Arsenal, which I was going to mention early on there, because the top three now is Liverpool still at the top, followed two points behind by City and Arsenal. Uh, but yeah, wonderful win at West Ham. That's a bad week for West Ham after United beat them as well. Uh, but both Newcastle and Manchester United had good away wins in their chase for a possible top four, because it's very open there. Uh, We'll see how that goes. In the women's side, it was the fifth round of the Women's FA Cup at weekend. Most of the top WSL uh, teams sailed through, although Arsenal lost at home to City 1-0. That's City's eighth consecutive win. They're doing really well. So uh, Chelsea, Brighton, Liverpool, Manchester United, Spurs and Leicester moved into the sixth round. And the draw took place last night. So we'll see holders, uh, Chelsea, are away to Everton, whilst last year's runners-up, Manchester United, travel to Brighton. Liverpool hosts Leicester and Spurs play Manchester City. All those ties will be played on Sunday, the 10th of March. So should be interesting. Those are the quarterfinals. Mm. Next up, athletics. Um, I think we've both got something to contribute here. Um Last year, uh, Kenyan Kelvin Kipton shattered the world record marathon time in Chicago in two hours, 35 seconds. It was actually his first ever marathon. Very sadly, this weekend in a car crash, Kipton and his coach were killed. They had been traveling near their training, uh, high altitude training camp in Kenya. Kipton had also won last year's London marathon in only his second ever marathon. He was only 24 years old. Kipton, I'm sure, would have been at the top level for a long time and arguably would have broken the two-hour marathon record that's lasted for so long, breaking that. A truly sad loss to athletics. Andy? Yeah, I mean, you look at what a talent he was. You know, he's posted four of the seven fastest ever marathon times at the age of 24 and normally marathon runners don't hit their peak until their sort of early thirties. So, you know, when he, when he was running those sort of times 
already in his career. You know, it's just almost that sort of what could have been done. And, you know, uh, you know, cut is the bow that could have grown full straight. And, you know, real shame that uh, at 24, the world's lost such a great talent in in marathon running. Indeed. Any more on athletics for you? Yeah, or? yeah. So picking the mood up a bit, some, some good news stories. Um, Josh Kerr. The British runner has set a new world record for the indoor two miles at the Milrose Games in New York. And he took nearly two seconds off the previous record that was held by Sir Mo Farah. Um, and as he won in eight minutes and 0.67 seconds. So uh, a great result for him. And then at the same event in New York and the same distance, Scott Laura Muir set a new British women's record for two miles. Uh, she finished second in a race in nine minutes and 4.84 seconds, but was then upgraded to first place at the end of the race because Ethiopia's Medina Asa was disqualified for cutting in too early. So on the indoor tracks, like a lot of the tracks, they're in lanes for a first however many laps of it. And uh, Isa cut just a little bit before the actual point where they were meant to cut from the lane so Muir got upgraded and, and she must uh, enjoy the, the New York Milrose Games because uh, last year she won the 1500 metres title there so this year she's added the, the two mile title and also Muir's fellow Scott and middle distance runner Gemma Riki uh, was in the medals with a win at Lievin in France uh, with an 800 metre victory in the World Athletics Indoor Tour so the results for all three of them stand them in good stead in their preparation for the World Indoor Championships in Glasgow next month. Okay, okay. Uh, gymnastics. Um, Britain's five times Commonwealth gymnastics champion, Claudia Fragapane, uh, has retired at just 26 years of age. Fragapane won four gold medals at the 2014 Commonwealth Games. She says she's loved her time uh, in gymnastics, starting as they do at the age of six, and now wants to, her quote, to turn the pages to the next chapter. Says a lot about the stresses and strains of international gymnastics, I think. Um, next up, I've got tennis. Emma Ranicardo, Emma Ranicardo, beg your pardon, continues to struggle to re-establish her tennis career. This weekend, she lost in the first round of the Qatar Open, losing to world number 30, Angelina Kalanina. Raducanu said, her quote, she struggled with everything. So not looking good for her. Anyway, we move on. I've got cricket next. Uh, and then obviously the third test against India starts uh, on Thursday, doesn't it? Yeah, in Rajkot. Yeah. And is that somewhere you've been? Uh, no, 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 I've never been to India actually. So, uh, but no, I've, no, I've no. heard it's uh, this is maybe slightly, uh, slightly, slightly greener and slightly more tropical than maybe some of the certainly than uh, Hyderabad was in the first test. So, uh, okay, yeah, so England are thinking about playing two seamers rather than all the spinners in this test. Yeah, injuries are playing a part. Team I've heard. Yeah, injuries are playing a part. Um, uh, uh Kale Arahul. Uh, the batsman who scored a century in the first test is out injured and misses definitely the third test. And for England's spinner, Jack Leach is out uh, for the rest of the series with his hamstring injury as well. So, uh, yeah, also Virat, 
Virat Kohli has been definitely ruled out uh, of the rest of the series for India yes. for um, uh, personal reasons, the former captain. And also, Ravindra Jadeja is still a question mark. He missed the second test with a hamstring injury. So India have really got some uh, injury problems there. And although Jack Leach, as he said, for England is out um, due to that knee injury that he sustained in the first test, Joe, Re- Joe Root has recovered from injury. It was feared that he might have broken a finger in the second test, but it looks like it was only badly bruised and he'll right. be able to play uh, this week. So, yeah, both teams are having to uh, uh, shuffle the deck a bit uh, with injuries and availability. Okay, we'll look forward to uh, hearing on that next week. Um, cycling I've got next. What we got for Andy? Yeah, so having talked about Simon Yates's win in Saudi Arabia last week, a uh, great start to the season for Mark Cavendish this yeah. week. Uh, he had a win in stage four of the Tour of Colombia, and that takes him to second equal in the most wins for a pro rider across a career. So he's now level with uh, uh, Mario Cipollini, on 163 wins, but both are a long way behind Eddie Merckx, who's out in front on 200-plus wins. Uh, But the Manx Missile is in his final season after he deferred his retirement when his Tour de France last year was cut short by injury. Uh, He's going to be racing the Tour de France again this year in his final season, and he'll be trying to get the one-stage win he needs this summer that will give him the outright record of the most Tour de France stage wins. That would be 35 if he can manage one stage win this year. So fingers crossed for him, but a great start with that um, stage win, stage four in the Tour of Colombia. Great. Okay. Um, Sport number eight, nine, I've got uh, swimming. Um, What have you got for us there? Yeah. So it's been the World Aquatic Championships in Doha, Qatar this week. Um, Adam Peaty, raced his first major championships in two years, coming back from a break away from the sport. And it was actually his first world championships since 2019. And he claimed uh, bronze in the 100 metres breaststroke. Uh, So great return for him. And also Tom Daly secured his place at his fifth Olympic Games um, out in Doha. So um, he got silver in the 10 metre synchronised diving with his teammate Noah Williams, and that ensured that the duo qualify for the Olympics in Paris this summer. So five Olympic Games. Beijing in 2008 was uh, Daly's first one. Okay, and finally, on the different sports, I got ice skating and I'd written down thin ice. (laughs) Explain. (laughs) Well, um, Russian ice skater Camilla Valieva was banned for a positive drug test in 2022. The actual sample was taken right at the end of 2021. So whilst that was being processed and going through, she was able to uh, compete in the Beijing Winter Olympics in spring 2022, but was then suspended. And at that time, she was just aged 15. Um, And initially, she was cleared by the Russian Anti-Doping Authority and we all know the question marks and problems they've had over the last 10, 15 yeah. years. But WADA, World Anti-Doping Agency, then appealed the decision at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and they've won. Um, and the Court of Arbitration for Sport said that the now 17-year-old Valieva's claims were not corroborated by any concrete evidence. And this is the bit I love. Valieva claimed that she must have ingested the drugs 
after her grandfather prepared a strawberry dessert for her on the same chopping board that he used to crush up his heart medication. So, <laughs> so it's a strawberry dessert that's got a banned from sport. Um, but what it also means, this strawberry dessert has also cost Russia's team gold uh, in the ice skating from the Beijing 2022 Olympics. Um, that's voided as all of Valieva's um, results and records from when the test was taken, which of course was the end of 2021, although she was then not banned till summer of 2022, in that time in between, the Olympics took place. So that strawberry dessert has cost the Russian team the team gold from Beijing. But yeah, I mean, talk about a great story. She's also claimed that could it be that her grandfather had used a, a glass to take water with his medication put in that and that she might have drunk from the same glass and about three other things or had someone sabotaged her food that was the other claim she made so she's really gone clutching at straws through that hearing but yeah the strawberry dessert being prepared on the same board that her grandfather crushed up his medication that was the one that really tickled me in terms of yeah, uh, it's like it's the ice skating version of the dog at my homework type <laughs> <experience>. <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly that Okay. Um, yeah, moving towards contacts. And your mum had said last week she likes to have here the Coleman balls we did, the um, broadcast bloopers that happen from time to time. Never, of course, on Null and Void. But um, so we call them Coleman balls, uh, as he named them. Uh, here's the first one Mike Hallett discussing missed snooker shots on Sky Sports said Stephen Hendry jumps on. Steve Davis's misses every time he gets chance. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Steve Ryder covering the US Masters said Ballesteros is feeling great today after a 69 yesterday. Right, moving on. Thanks moving on to swiftly, Dins yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Mike Dinsdale for these. And if you want to hear more, please do tell us. But I have to tell you, some of them will struggle to get past our, our lawyers. Uh, but anyway, Andy's mum wanted to hear them. So there you go. On to contacts. Yeah, Mike Smith, in response to me sending the episode 136 of Null and Void, said, only 14 to the next landmark. Yeah, 150s on the horizon, Mike. We'll get there. Then Andy McManamy, who was our brilliant guest last week, um, Andy, um, star guest, uh, said, I sent him the podcast and I added to that great episode. Uh, thanks, Andy. Andy replied straight away and he said, thanks, Tony. That means a lot. You have so many varied guests, so I accept that as a sincere, a sincere praise. I love the stimulation of thinking on my feet with your questions. Starman, Andy McManamy, thank you very much indeed. He was brilliant last week, I thought. Mm. Okay, uh, Andy, you've got a contact, haven't you? Yeah, so friend of the show, Lee Spore, who's also a 49ers fan, uh, got in touch on Sunday night about five minutes before kickoff. It was just as they were doing the Star Spangled Banner as uh, Reba McIntyre was singing that. And he said, I'm working in Ascot this week, uh, so been listening to this week's pod on the way down, driving down. Uh, very appreciative of your uh, non-bet on the Niners. Um, he said, I very appreciate the fact that you've stayed away from them, given your track record on teams and horses that you've bet on. 
He said, if you're feeling flush, you may even want to land a tenner on the Chiefs as well, just for good measure. So, uh, But then he went on to say, possibly the first time this season, I'm not all that hopeful about the result, but maybe the last two games have given us some steel and we can rise to the big occasion. Well, as we know, that didn't turn out. And uh, Lee's response on Monday morning was, yeah, really gutted about it. I thought the Niners played really well and the defence was pretty exceptional, to be honest. I'll just have to wait another 12 months and hope we can do something similar again. Uh, hope you enjoyed your one hour sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. OK. Um, next up, get a grip. Um, now, any changes in the laws or rules within any, any sport are always difficult to implement. In the case of football, the most recent changes came with the introduction of technology to determine the accuracy of offside decisions, deliberate handball, and violent conduct. And it, to be honest, they looked at and there to assist referees. That was the idea of them. Already many people are doubtful of the success of this move to VAR decisions and the long interruptions to the flow of the game. The same people who referee the games adjudicate the video replays. So people who've never played the game at the top level then make the final decisions. I think that's where that's going wrong at the moment. So it's not ideal, the changes that have been made. But the, the new potential uh, ruling coming out was uh, the idea of basically to introduce an additional card that the referee can issue, a blue card. This would be for dissent to the referee or ref, ref's assistance for violent conduct as well. The punishment will be a 10-minute sin bin, a bit like rugby has. My view is if the existing system of yellow cards as a warning or a red card for a second yellow or straight red card for violent contact, if implemented rigidly, would be appropriate, in my opinion. You don't need other things. That's the problem with it. Uh, otherwise, the long interruptions we already have will further be broken up with blue card incidents. Already, the Premier League and a number of other top leagues, FIFA and FIFA, have said they're not in favour. Don't get me wrong, dissent to referees is stopping young referees taking up the sport. So it's important to get this right. And there is no doubt young players and parents mimic what they see on TV. They've got to stop it. Now, if, if in my opinion, if a referee gives a yellow card for dissent, nothing wrong with that at all. If that person carries on, give them another yellow card straight away. Send them off. You know, because too often they get a yellow card and they, they just don't start rabbiting the referee. It's a bad thing. And I think bad lessons are being learned there. But I think mm. if they implemented the system they've got better, then there's no need for another card to come in. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, it's some way off. And usually they trial this at a lower amateur level in the first place. And I can see how at the junior level, uh, it, it can probably work, but uh, I'm not sure it's needed. So who that actually is, is the International Football Association Board. Heard of them before? I haven't. But actually, I have. They're the lot that have made the pig's ear of the current handball laws. So uh, if they well, can't even get that right, I dread to think what they'll do with this. Yeah, well, in my opinion to them, Get a bloody grip and don't go anywhere near this harebrained blue card scheme. End of. <laughs> okay. 
I feel better for that. Right, now it is time to go to our guest. Uh, allow me to introduce tonight's guest. I did give you a clue, a clue earlier on when I said he was a triathlete competitor. And in fact, last year took part Ironman uh, World Championship in Nice. So please welcome Colin Wood to Null and Void. Colin, welcome. How are you doing? Good evening. Thank you very much. You remember, it seems like we've had a, a whole succession of people from Wallingford Triathlon Club. We think that's the only one that exists, but I think there are others. But there's some very good people from there. But you remember there. How long have you been a member there? Oh, about uh, five years now. Yeah, it's a yeah, really good club. Good, uh, good social, good bunch of people. Uh, yeah, athletes of all kinds of uh, um, abilities down there, except everybody. It's really good. So, so how did Colin, you get into yeah. triathlon then, Yeah, Colin? exactly what, my question. What <laughs> dragged you into this sport? Yeah, triathlon and in particular Ironman. Um, I'd just I'd seen the uh, Ironman advertised and I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds like a challenge. Uh, I'd like to give that <laughs> a go. Um Entered, uh, paid the money up in uh, back in 2016, and six weeks before the Ironman, I, I still, you know, my swimming was awful. I could, <laughs> I could swim uh, breaststroke for as long as you know, as long as I liked, but um, front crawl, I, I could do two lengths, and then that that was it, and that that was all the way up to about six weeks before the race. But carried on. Uh, and managed to have a have a perfect race then. Um, everything went really well. Luckily, uh, it was a sea swim, and it was really really calm on the day. Um, so yeah, it went really smoothly. And yeah, I'd seen it as a um, as some, a challenge. That that was the start, uh, the beginning of the journey. So that that's what drew you to it. And obviously, not everybody would go in that direction. And and I can imagine you're a, a full time policeman, aren't you as well? That's right. Yeah, full time policeman. Uh, I was yeah been working shifts for 22 years. Um, full time policeman and single parent with three children. So yeah, it's a lot going on. Uh, it's been it's been hard work. How do you find the time to? Because Ironman training is isn't sort of like something that you can do on an hour a week, like some gym efforts it's a you know there's a lot of time on in the pool on the bike and and out on your feet how do you find the time to do that Colin yeah um managed to build it into the day somehow I've got no idea <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> um I uh, I work been working uh, it's, it's a 34 kilometer um trip to work and I was cycling that every day so I, I could commute and uh, get my uh, training in there and back 70 well practically 70 k's on the bike every day um that obviously kept me really fit and then trying to fit in some running and uh, a little bit of swimming in between that yeah I, I can imagine that's why maybe the six weeks beforehand but that's amazing that six weeks beforehand you, you were just still doing uh breaststroke what changed that meant that you went from i can do two lengths of front crawl to now i've got to do kilometers worth of front crawl in the race i know you said it was a flat sea but even a flat sea doesn't help sort of that distance no just uh, uh, there's a cutoff time of two hours 20 minutes and i was really concerned that um you know i wasn't going to make it through that 
I really had no idea if, if, if I was going to uh, get round or not. I knew if I got through the swim, the bike and the run, I wouldn't have too much problems with. Um, but yeah, just through sheer, sheer guts and tenacity, uh, yeah, I, I got through it. Um, my, my swimming's improved since, but <laughs> it's still uh, by far my uh, weakest uh, of the three disciplines. So, so you obviously occupied that was, what did you say 2016, your first one? Yeah, 2016. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, from there, how did that progress? Obviously, you, you got that first one under your belt, which is fantastic. But some people might stop at that and say, well, I've done it and I've proved it. What was your attitude? Yeah. Well, after that, I did the, some half Ironman and some sh shorter distances. I still felt like I had unfinished business. <laughs> and, uh, ended up plummeting and uh, entered the Ironman Italy in 2021. Um, Ironman Barcelona 2022. And that's where I qualified for the World Championships. Um, but yeah, 2021 20, and 2022 did some really good times. And it was it was amazing to go abroad and do some of the events. Uh, it was uh, yeah, really good, really good. Uh, was it was it still in COVID bubbles when you were racing in Italy and Barcelona? Because I would imagine that made things interesting on the travel as well. Yeah, it was just coming uh, coming out of COVID, and uh, it was touch and go whether we were going to make it over there or not. Um, and then when we were over there, there was yeah all sorts of conditions about going into the athlete village and having to show your passes on your phone and what have you. Again, it it probably probably helped with some of the training uh, throughout COVID, doing our exercises every day. <laughs> um, yeah, it helped through that. So, um, yeah, it, it was touch and go when it was going to be on. And it was one of the first events to, to come through. So, yeah, we were really pleased to, uh, to, to compete in that one. Colin, did you have in your mind, I could qualify for world championship level? Was it in your mind or was it pointed out to you? Hang on, if you can repeat this, you, you you possibly might qualify. Where were you on that? Were you keen on the idea? I I was keen on the idea from 2016 from Weymouth. I, I was wasn't many minutes behind, and and that being my first one. And then Italy, I was still five minutes behind a qualifying spot. And then I was in two minds. In some ways, I I was thinking that if I did get effort offered a slot, it was initially going to be in Kona, where the traditional uh, Ironman World Finals iconic race um, is being held. And I was thinking, well, if I do get offered a slot, I don't think I'm going to be able to afford it. However, <laughs> if they did offer it, me, I would have probably pulled my credit card out there and then and said, well, I can't afford it, but we're going anyway. <laughs> we'll worry about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, yeah, it was a shame not to do. Like, it was a shame not to do the iconic um, uh, Kona race, um, but a, a bit of a blessing that it was in France, um, in Nice, for the finals uh, for the first time. Um, it's been in Europe last year, uh, which made it a lot more practical to get to. Um, and you know they, they put on an amazing event uh, anyway. It was it was absolutely brilliant to see the you know the world championships. Uh, the, 
fantastic athletes over there. It was a brilliant event. Walk us through the moment you, you qualify. When, you know, how do they notify you? Does it come by email or how does it come? Now, normally, it's uh, on, on a rollback. The day after the Ironman, they'll um, have a, an, an event where if you think you might be qualified, you'll, you'll go along and they'll announce the names and there's you have to get out your credit card there and then and, and, yeah. and pay for it and say you're going to take it or not. However, from Barcelona, um, I wasn't on that list, but because of the change of the events, because uh, they moved it to Nice, they, they changed it slightly. And then I had an email that came through and I had 48 hours to uh, answer and to say whether I was in or not. Brilliant. And so, so race week and the event itself, what was the atmosphere like there, Colin? I guess between the athletes themselves and your fellow athletes, but then also the the folk watching. Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's brilliant. But we um, we went out a few days before, so we we went out and did a few rides out into the hills. Did one awesome ride. It was a, a category four climb that they use in the uh, Tour de France. Just reached the peak of that and uh, saw somebody run past. I thought, oh, who's that? And it's uh, that looks like Paula Radcliffe. Paula Radcliffe was just out for a training run. Oh, wow. Uh, That's that's her hometown. That's where she lives. And and just, you know, so many things like that were happening, seeing all these awesome athletes uh, out in the whole area, The, the, the village. Um, the, the athlete village was growing, and uh, yeah, it was it was really good atmosphere out there. Because uh, a week later, I was staying up in those mountains because um, the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup matches in Nice, so I was actually staying up there and uh, yeah, saw some folk out riding, obviously on training rides a week after your event. But uh, yeah, they were. I mean, beautiful sceneries, but some big old hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a, a testing course uh, after um, doing Italy and Barcelona, where, where the rides were pan flat. Uh, yeah, t- two thousand four hundred meters of climbing. Um, basically, first third of the race was uphill. Middle third was fairly flat, and then a really fast last third of the race downhill. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, through the spectacular, beautiful mountains. Uh, yeah, really, really uh, awesome riding. So one of, one of the things that I wonder about is having achieved that at kind of international level, what next? I mean, it is I think you said to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that you decided you were going to have some time out after that as opposed to where's the next one? Is, is that true? Uh, yeah, I'm not planning any Ironman for this year. Um, I'm, I'm doing a half Ironman. I'm doing the Outlaw half in uh, in Nottingham in May. Um, and then just taking the, sometimes to do a bit more running. I've uh, got a London Marathon coming up. I'm planning on doing a Bob Graham round, a challenge fell event up in the Lake District. And then I've, I've got an ultra uh, 56 mile around the Peak District in September. So, yeah, that, that's my idea of taking it easy. <laughs> it just occurred to me as you were saying that. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff. So you're not doing an yeah. Ironman. You're doing everything else. Yeah. <laughs> doing everything else. Then, then next year, 
I'll I'll be in the next age bracket. I'll uh, I'm, I'm rising up in the age age bracket, so uh, I'll uh, probably look to do another Ironman and and try and uh, compete in the age group again. How old are you, Colin? Can you mind me asking? Um, I'm forty nine. So okay, uh, big fifty. Yeah, yeah. You, you move up into the next group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. What a way to celebrate that! Hey, yeah, you know, most people sit there and go, "Oh, you know, I might, I might take a couple of days off or a holiday or something like that." And you're going, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going for a uh, going for an age group world championship place." <laughs> Colin, yeah. are, are your are your uh, children sporting? I think you said your daughter was into football. Yeah, I had three daughters, uh, all very good footballers. Uh, yeah, they, they all love the football. One, one does gymnastics as well. Um, I've I've had two of them out on park runs. Um, they 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 quite enjoy that. <laughs> I certainly don't force them round. No, but what what ages are they? Just for our listeners' interest. Uh, eldest fifteen, thirteen, and twelve. Fantastic. I mean. Colin, you 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 tell us a great story, and I, you haven't come into contact with too many null and void listeners so far. But once this goes out on Thursday, there's a whole family of people, and one thing they commonly say is, "We love to hear the stories." So the more unusual, you, the better in a way. So it'll make a, a really good story. So you, you know, what I thought I understood you were having a I kind of rest you. What you told me is is non-stop with other events, which is fantastic. And and if you can keep us posted about how you progress, what we'll do is we'll send you the podcast when it comes out on Thursday. And if you want to network it to whoever you want to network it to, then um, we'll be delighted to hear because our audience spreads across the world. I think it's and the forty-four countries that download countries it now. now. Yeah, yeah. Apart from the UK, so that's nice. Um, but we always like what they keep telling us. We love the stories, even if they've never been in a anywhere near a triathlon event. They love hearing your stories, and it's a great story you've told us tonight. And I appreciate. I know it's half term fitted in because you one of your daughters was not training for football tonight, so that was great that you could be with us. And if you can keep us posted as you progress over the coming months, that will be wonderful, Andy. Yeah, I mean, really excited to hear how you go with the Bob Graham event because that's something, again, that's a bit unusual in runners and very, very different to sort of just a, a you know, a, a road race. I mean, the London Marathon is iconic, but the Bob Graham is a really sort of yeah, a yeah. completely different event. Yeah. Is this your first London? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. No, I don't. I'm getting on for 10 now. Lost count. <laughs> well, yeah. Make me feel sick. What's your fast time, fastest time? Uh, I did two hours 45 in the Manchester in 2021. Wow. Uh, you, you'd have been 18 minutes ahead of me in Manchester, which is uh, 3.03 I did there. That's my hometown. Three so, uh, yeah, home city. Whereabouts yeah. am I from? Well, I was born in Ashton, yeah, yeah. but that, that was where the hospital was. But I lived in Openshaw um, uh, for the first nine years of my life. And then we moved out to South Manchester, a uh, place called Marple Bridge, just the edge of the Peak District. So, yeah, you're from there, are oh, you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I went to Marple Ridge College. Oh, God. Well, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm miles older than you, but 
I went to uh, Marple, uh, the Willows, it was called previously, before then, and the college, yeah, sixth yeah, form yeah. college came up later. So I had absolutely no idea of that connection. That's nice. You know my part of the world then. And Manchester, I did 303, which was my best marathon time. The frustrating thing about that was as you're running in, you can hear the PA saying, these guys have beaten three hours. <laughs> and it, Anyway, um, another another day, another dime, another dollar. But, um, yeah, so I can empathise very much with you in, in running. But 245, that's not bad, mate, not bad. The difference oh, is, Tony, run, that <laughs> when Colin did it, it was in colour. But when you did it, it became black and white. <laughs> yeah. As, as you gather from our partnership in broadcasting, we, we're, we're good mates as well. Good job as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's lovely, good. Lovely, <laughs> lovely you could be with us. And if somebody was actually listening to you tonight and saying, yeah, but it didn't say what, you know, what would I do if I was looking? What's the first thing I should be doing if I'm thinking about a triathlon? Why is it attractive? What should I do? Let's encourage a few people to follow you. What would you say to that? Encourage people to join the triathlon club. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. It, uh, it's it's a very inclusive sport. People always tend to have a weakness in at least one of the disciplines. Um, but getting together... And uh, with, with a bunch of other people, helps. There's a lot of camaraderie to bring each other up to a good level um, in each of the disciplines. It's a very social sport. Um, yeah, it's well worth doing. Good, good man, Colin. Well, I appreciate you being with us, and uh, we look forward to following your progress uh, and the Wallingford Triathlon Club generally. But your progress, if you want to keep in touch with us and tell us how you're doing for those various events. We'd love to hear about it. Maybe get you back on and tell us uh, how that went. Yeah? Yeah, I'll let you know. All right. Cheers, Colin. Thank you very much for being with us. Okay, Cheers, it's been man. great to talk to you both. Cheers, Andy. Re really good. So, um, yeah, lovely story from Colin. Um, and I think people will be interested in, you know, but, but I genuinely thought, having talked to him on the phone before, that he was having a rest year. <laughs> His rest year is like, Someone else's, yeah, it's just yeah. something else. It's something else. So I really enjoyed that, and obviously the ten sports were able to cover, um, and your contacts yet again. So um, look forward to being with you at a time and a place that suits you next week. Thank you very much, anyway, for being with us tonight. See you then. Bye bye. Cheerio, folks. Null and void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.